Welcome to Game Plan, a show about our lives at work. I'm Francesca Levy, editor of the Game Plan section at Bloomberg.com. And I'm Rebecca Greenfield, a reporter at Bloomberg, where I cover workplace culture. This week, we're talking about money, how we make it, and what we do with it. Later, we'll talk to Sally Krawcheck, a co-founder of Elevest, a service that helps women invest their money. But first, let's talk about our salaries. How much do you make, Becca? I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Why ever not? Because, I don't know, we live in a society, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people, people, including myself, and I'm guilty of this, we don't like talking about our salaries. It's like talking about politics and religion. It's like if you bring it up with somebody you don't know that well, it's pretty likely that somebody's going to get offended. And I just want to avoid that uncomfortable situation. But that's just me. To see what some other people think, I decided to ask some of our coworkers if they would tell me their salaries. Would you tell me your salary? Yeah. Really? Yeah, why not? What is it? It's... Whoa, I can't believe you just told me that. Would you tell me your salary? No. Why not? It just seems taboo and like culturally unacceptable to tell people your salary. Would you tell me your salary? Yeah. Okay, what is it? Uh, I make... I think employees should share their salaries. I think it's a way for employees to like band together and extract more money for their labor. Yeah. Would you tell me your salary? Yes. Okay, what is it? Would you tell me your salary? It's not something that uh, I discuss often with strangers or even coworkers, but like my close network of like friends and family, that would be something that I would discuss with them. But you wouldn't tell me your coworker? Probably not. I'd be a little hesitant because I've been somewhere where employees have shared And then I've seen like there was like a tension almost. It makes people feel less valued if they know someone else doing similar work is making more. So I was surprised by how many people told me what they make. But there were still some people who were, like me, uncomfortable with sharing for what I thought were some pretty legitimate reasons. And yet there have been arguments, right, that salary transparency, which is sort of a buzzwordy phrase these days, is great. If everybody knew what everybody else made, there would be a lot more fairness and parity between men and women. Right. And and when you, I think, especially with negotiating, which is something that's particularly hard for women to do already, not having any information just makes it a hard conversation, even if you are making the exact right amount of money or more than your coworker, you you might not assume that. And then, of course, on the darkest end of this, if you're actually being discriminated against for a variety of reasons and not being paid just because you are a woman or a minority, then you might not you won't know that unless there is transparency and transparency has has helped people. So there is this movement for more transparency, which comes in a few different flavors, and there are companies now where everybody knows what everyone else makes. Right. There's one very high-profile example, and the company is called... Buffer. What does Buffer do? They're a social media platform. Okay. And at Buffer is the most extreme example because they post everyone's salary online. So it's not just public within the organization. It's public to everybody in the outside world. 
and they post the salaries and then they have this calculator where they show kind of how the salary where it comes from so various factors go into salaries such as the cost of living of a place how many years experience someone has what their job title is and and that all makes the salary and that's all completely public and they started this experiment some time ago yeah it's been a few years you know they did it for fairness in general and and it should close the wage gap but they did a study recently this year that they found that there was still a wage gap Right, because there were specific factors going into each person's salary that was resulting in a, a gender-based wage gap. Yeah, things that they couldn't really control. For example, they just happened to hire women for job types that paid less. So right. an engineer will make more than a community manager. Um, and of course, there were women in senior roles in community management, but that makes less than a man in a senior role in engineering. And knowing where the salaries come from doesn't change that. Sure. But it would be useful to know if you were a woman in engineering and you were making less than a man right. in an equivalent so, position. So that wasn't happening. But that kind of discrimination did go away. That's good. And it's it's also, we're talking about private companies or public companies that don't have to post this information online, but there are some, there are some industries where you actually do have full salary transparency. I mean, most city and state employees have public salaries, and that means that it's the public's right to know how much you're elected officials are making or your local, you know, city government employees or whatever. And then in those cases, there is a very narrow range of what you would be making. You just hit benchmarks and you make a certain amount of money and there are caps and it can't really be any other way because everybody knows what you're paid. Yeah. And I've talked to some people who work for public universities who have had salary transparency their whole career and they do have a really different relationship and outlook on their salary being transparent. And I think it's it's a little bit they knew what they signed up for. And also, if you're going into public service, you're probably not doing it for the money. It's not the same kind of cutthroat, you judge each other based on what you make environment. So it, it is a little different. Okay, so fixing the wage gap is obviously more nuanced and complex than just making everybody's salaries known to everybody else. And maybe that's a first step. But there's obviously a lot more going on. But let's say everybody was getting paid a perfectly fair salary. What a world. Um, the next question is, what do you do with that money? And are there actually ways that women are handicapping themselves by not investing that money in the same way that men do? That's exactly what we are here to talk to our guest about. Sally Krawcheck is... Apart from being the co-founder of Elevest, which helps women invest their money, is a wealth management expert who worked her way up the financial services ladder at places like Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. And in recent years, she's dedicated her career to helping women in business. Is that I'm accurate? I'm a feminist with a capital F these days. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Well, I love that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, your talking points has been the investing gap. The, we hear a lot about the wealth gap or the wage gap between men and women, but you are drawing attention to another aspect of difference between men yeah. and women, and that's yeah. how they invest. So so we talk a lot about the gender pay gap, and let me say something to start off with. Closing the gender pay gap is a great thing for everybody. Uh, if we could close the gender pay gap, we could actually, research shows, close the retirement savings gap by nearly a third. So it's a big deal. It puts money into the economy. It helps families be better off. It's all good. 
There's another gender gap that we don't talk about at all, which is the gender investing gap. Men invest to a greater extent than women do. And the gender investing gap can cost some women more, in some cases quite a bit more, over the course of their lives than the gender pay gap does. But we haven't talked about it. Again, for your listeners who aren't women who are saying, I don't know, why do I care? You care because closing that gap will drive capital into the markets um, and will also help close the retirement savings gap. And it's good for all of us to have these gaps closed. So one question I have and other people might have is, are men and women not investing as much because women don't have as much money? That, no. That is a reason, but it's not the reason. And in fact, what really, really, really bothers me is when the research will come out and they'll say, oh, women retire with two-thirds the money of men, and some personal finance journalists, none of whom work at this company, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, will then say, well, yeah, women should invest more. But that's not the real issue. It's the gender pay gap. It's sort of like saying, oh, my gosh, I broke my arm and I broke my leg. But until I can fix my leg, I'm not going to fix my arm, right? So, yes, is some of it that it's they don't have as much money? Sure. But that's not the whole of the issue. And stopping there and saying, well, we'll wait till the gender pay gap is fixed is, I think, very short-sighted. So what are the... And dumb. And dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Dumb. Okay. (laughs) So not to be dumb about it, but what are the differences in the characteristics of or the investing styles of men versus women? Well, it's a great question because there are so many articles out there about mistakes people make when they invest. And they typically are around overtrading, falling in love with your winners, selling your losers too quickly, paying too high fees, but it's sort of, sort of this activity-based mistakes. Wait a minute. Those are the mistakes men make. Women make different mistakes. The mistakes women make are first and foremost not investing enough. The other mistake women make, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, is they wait until they believe that they are fully financially educated. So almost every woman we know, I see your head nodding. I'm going to invest. In fact, I was in Silicon Valley a handful of weeks ago and heard from a fellow, a venture capital partner, his girlfriend was going to take a couple of weeks off this summer so she could learn to invest, right? (laughs) It doesn't take that long, but there's a view of I need to get smarter. And so all these women that we know have stacks of books next to the desk, and they don't invest. And it costs them a fortune. So an example, if you're making, call it $85,000 a year, uh, you are putting 20% of your income in the bank, which is what experts recommend. It's a lot, but let's go with it for a second. You're putting in the bank instead of investing. And you wait 10 years, right? Oh, I'm busy. I wait 10 years. I hear it all the time. People waited 10, 20 years. That costs you an average of $100 a day, that wait right? $100 a day. And so we underestimate the cost of waiting and the cost of not investing substantially. I I loved reading about the thing about waiting until you're fully educated or waiting until you feel like you are done learning everything you need to know before you start doing something. Because that that seems to be something that can stymie women in other areas. Ah. They say women, as opposed to men, will only apply to jobs if they have Ah. 100% of the qualifications or, you know, just tend to sort of wait to do things until... They feel completely confident in their own abilities. And it's almost like you're saying a little bit of foolhardiness here, like a little bit of jumping in without. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it foolhardiness. But but no. look, Francesca, did you love getting A's at school? <laughs> of course you did, right? Back you loved getting uh, A's, yeah, right? Super competitive. Uh, absolutely. And so we, we wait. And so here's the example. When I was running Smith Barney back in the day, 84% of our clients did not know what a managed account was, even though it was our largest product. Neither gender would ask. When you ask the guys, why won't you ask? It essentially was, 
I'm a guy. I don't ask for directions. That's what we do. And when you ask the women, they'd say, I'm a gal. I don't want to bother. That's what we do. <laughs> the difference was the men would buy it and the women wouldn't. Now, is that fool? So, so neither knew what they neither were buying. Neither knew. One no. was, was so both were them. almost, I don't want to say equally, but neither were as financially educated as they, quote, should have been. But the gentleman would buy it and the women wouldn't. And then you go, okay, who just made the mistake, given that? And as women, sometimes we want to be like, oh, it's the guys, right, because they bought something they didn't know. But the truth is, even without having full financial knowledge, they were getting the returns over time as a result of it. So, Because they were starting earlier as well? That's right, because they were doing it. Right. And so, so even if they made a few mistakes. Right. So I think the biggest red herring out there for women is we, we buy into that we need more financial education, but then we're so busy we never get it, and so we don't invest. Now, I've built Elevest which is a digital investment platform for women. And part of what we do is we try to take away the jargon that we women will try to understand and just have you make decisions about things that you can control. Yeah, so hearing you talk about the mistakes that men make and the way women act, I completely relate to it. And also hearing about the men really stresses me out because I don't (laughs) want to be in that position probably because I'm a woman. You know, in addition to Elevest, what are some ways that women can get into investing in a way that makes them feel comfortable? Well, look, do it. Um, I would say whether you use Elevest or not, whatever. But buying diversified, low-cost investments, you know, in a diversified managed ETF portfolio, that's the way to go. Go to whatever your broker is, whatever your financial advisor who you're comfortable with is and say, look, just put me in inexpensive, highly diversified investments. To my opinion, you you have to start there. If you want to then listen to Bloomberg all day and figure out, you know, the euro is going to outperform the yen, et cetera, et cetera, you can do that. But by not starting with something, you're giving up too much ground. The other thing I would say is Wall Street is pretty male, actually. And we should keep that in mind. It's pretty male in that the majority of the employees in the financial advisor segment are male, about 85% male financial advisors. The terms and the, the, the words we use are very war and sports. That's one of my big pet peeves that I talk about, Yeah, the sports metaphor. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Bloomberg isn't as much as some, but the sports, it looks like sports programming sometimes, right? The, the rah-rah. This segment is winning. This is outperforming. This is beating. This is we're picking this winner, and so there's sort of a very male orientation, war and sports. On top of that, the symbol of Wall Street is a bull. Bull. Oh, it's I, a bull. I, I, it's I a bull. I didn't know. It's a bull. <laughs> didn't know if we were supposed to answer, but anyway. uh, sorry. You, if I you're absolutely correct. In fact, the business I used to run, Merrill Lynch, it's a bull. What's a bull? It's a Phallic symbol, yes, phallic symbol. Oh, we went there. Wow. We went there. Okay, that's podcast later. (laughs) But, you know, you don't, I haven't talked to many women who've said, you know, that industry just speaks to me. Just, just, it's me, it's me. And so the advice I would give is, look, we're not going to change the whole industry overnight, but we should recognize there's a male orientation. It's talking to them more and sort of fight through that. It's true. It sort of reminds me of this is sounds fairly beside the point, but I just went shopping for a car with my partner mm-hmm. recently and in classic um, car dealership style, basically all of the sales people, male or female, addressed only him and not me. Oh, and I oh. was furious about it, of course. But then I realized that 
the questions that he was asking and the things that he was talking about were not particularly educated mm-hmm. you know he, he he sort of was like i want a leather interior piston. and i, I want, want and i want you know like a sunroof and i would have felt embarrassed walking in and saying those things because i would have felt like yeah. i had to do months of research on oh, chassis so and whatever to sound time. smart and he didn't worry about sounding yeah. smart because he could just be a guy and right. go in there and say whatever he wants yeah. and it sort of made me realize that like it isn't about them having a shared language it's it's also about just being free to talk without yeah. worrying too much about yeah. sounding dumb yeah. but we hear that in the financial services industry again and again that even when when we used to ask our financial advisors they'd meet with couples and we'd say how much time did you spend talking to each of them they'd say you know it wasn't quite 50 50 because the guy and i we talked about the football game but it's 55 45 and we would tape them and then we'd play it back and it'd be like 90 10. wow wow and so of no wonder then that what we saw was that men would leave their financial advisor at a very low rate i mean if the client didn't die he'd leave less than two percent of the time i mean very low rate but in the year after his death the husband's death the woman would leave at a rate of greater than 70%. Wow. 7-0. Because so, she needed to find somebody that spoke to her. Exactly. Because the research tells you, she says that he didn't talk to, you know, he, the financial advisor, didn't talk to me for 20 years, 40 years, played golf with my husband, didn't play golf with me, talked about sports, didn't talk to me about what I'm interested in, you know, whatever that is. Um, just, you know, just I feel I felt dissed where doing options trading strategies. I never understood it. No one ever took me to lunch and explained it. And the financial advisors would typically be sort of surprised by this. Wow. Um, and then forget it. Once it went from her to the next generation, uh, we used to keep the assets less than 2% of the time. Wow. wow. So starting early, finding people that you can relate to regardless of whether or not they relate to your husband, mm-hmm. if you're a woman. Those are all great tips for women. But I have to ask, since starting early is so important, many people entering the job force Mm -hmm. uh, or the workforce are starting out with a negative net worth because they have student debt and not much else. Right. What is the correct amount of money to have before you start investing? And... It's a great question. And what do you do if if you're so broke that paying off your debt is the only thing you can think about? Well, you should pay off your debt is the answer. Another question I I think young people with debt have is that they wonder if they should put any money in their 401k or just like you said pay off your debt. Yeah, I think I think it look 401k is tax deferred savings so it's fantastic and oh my goodness. Woo, if you happen to work for an employer who does a match, that is called free money. If they're giving away free money, take free money. And so you're going to want to look at that and say okay, the the 401k if I'm young should be mostly in equities. If there's a match, that's, you know, the stock markets have returned on average over the past many decades, nine and a half percent a year. I'm not projecting any means that it will do that again. But geez, if you could put that into equities and have a match, you know, one for one match, all of a sudden you're talking about, a, you know, if it does as well as it did historically, uh, you know, close to 20 percent return. annually. that's not bad. Right. So that would overcome a student loan that can be a lower single digit rate type of, of cost for you. I also am wondering as somebody, so you paid off your student loans and now you're someone like me, a young professional who's making money, doesn't, I, I don't have any debt. What That's should I great. be doing? I know. I'm very lucky. <laughs> I really relate to so many of the things you said. Like I do have money sitting in a savings account. Right. Is that dumb? Right. I, you know, what's some advice well, that you can give for that okay, kind of person? So do you have three months of your salary set aside 
in a savings account in case of an emergency. That's the second thing you do because stuff happens. Stuff happens. I really did not think I was going to get fired from my (laughs) jobs. I mean, I don't know. My business that I was running was ahead of plan, and it was the only one that was growing at the company. And, you know, you just sort of feel like you're okay, and then they reorged me out. Likewise, I don't know. I was married to the man I loved, and I really thought he loved me too, but he loved my friend more than he loved me. So that was awkward. Those things happened to me. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you I would say- can't predict the future. I right. know. I, I all, I've been trying to make the argument for so friggin' long that, if oh, if my husband would cheat on me, your husband might cheat on you or your girlfriend or your partner or whoever. And most people are like, whatever. But, you know, Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. And if Jay-Z is going to cheat on Beyonce, we just all better have an emergency fund is all I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. All I'm saying. I'm pretty sure Beyonce has a pretty big emergency fund. Well, I feel like that's why we don't feel sorry for her. Because that woman was like, hey, Jay-Z, I'm going to make like this whole thing about you. I'm going to make a lot of money off of you. You. I tried that. It didn't work. Anyway, so, okay, back to to the topic. Obviously, she's got a lot of money. But, look, we we all know folks who have ended up in relationships they don't want to be in because they didn't have the financial with wherewithal to leave or mm-hmm. jobs. So get that emergency fund because stuff happens. Okay, so this is all fantastic advice. Just but. a final... <laughs> no, no, but... Great. Well, let's say, as yes. a final question for you, if you had a magic wand and could change one thing, if there was one thing you could get all young women to do differently with their money, what would well, it be? Well, you know it would be to invest, right? So it would be... To go into their boss's office, ask for the raise, negotiate for the raise, because we're we are we're making less than the guys are on average, and so on average we all deserve a raise. And by the way, if the boss says no, to have the six other things that you will take instead of a raise that matter, an overseas assignment, working with the hotshot star in management, time in marketing, flexible whatever those things are, to go in there. And be confident of your value, assuming, by the way, you don't suck at your job. If you suck at your job, don't listen to anything I just said, okay? (laughs) But assuming you don't suck at your job, walking in, getting that raise, and taking that raise, and not spending it, but investing it, those two things, I got to tell you, Francesca, aren't just important, they're life-changing, I love that. They're life-changing. You cheated a little because you said two things instead of one. But we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass. Oh, come on. It was a compound thing. <laughs> no, it was, it was very, compound. It was very, right? very well executed. Well, but here's what I would say. We're already doing 98% of the hard work. Right. Right? We go to work. We turn in our projects on time. We bring in the new client. But if we're not getting paid what the gentlemen are and we're not investing like the gentlemen are, literally we're at the end of our careers left with about a third the money that we would otherwise have. It's freaking nuts. It's nuts. So it was a compound answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for your answer, and thanks for coming in, Sally. It was fantastic to talk to you. pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Before we go, I'd like to introduce a new segment that we are premiering called Half-Baked Takes. Half-Baked Takes. What is a half-baked take? A half-baked take is something that you feel... A half-baked take is a really good point (laughs) that you have that is not substantive enough to justify assigning or writing an article about it, 
or even a rant or even a blog post or maybe even a tweet. Oh, it's less than a tweet. It might be a tweet. Okay. It's a tweet. But it's something that I want a platform for. Do you want to go first this week? Yes. My half-baked take is that my favorite temperature, both inside and outside, at all times, is when you cannot feel the air. Say more. So there's this theory that, not theory, there's this thing where 68 degrees is room temperature and that you have to have like a cool breeze blowing on you at all times and that is uncomfortable for me. Like a nice cool breeze outside, the idea of like cold air rubbing up against my body is so uncomfortable. I want so, to like the temperature to be like 77 and not humid. Like you can't feel the air. So you're framing this as a temperature thing, but really what you're saying is you just don't like being touched by the breeze. <laughs> Well, yeah, because that makes me cold. Well, I, I like will to be say, comfortable. I don't, un- I don't understand the cool breeze well, I think, thing. I think the appeal of appeal. a cool breeze is that it comes after you've been warmer than mm. is comfortable. So then that's like in the office, the air conditioning is blasting. You shouldn't based... need a cool breeze in the office because you should no. have a steady temperature. Right. But it's based on this idea you. that we're like coming in from the hot outside and need the cool breeze. And it does feel good for one second, maybe. But then I will it's like say, on you all day. I'm very uncomfortable with the feeling of fans on my skin. Yeah, they tickle exactly. me. They give me they the tickles. <laughs> okay, what's yours? <laughs> my half-baked take is about shutting down your computer properly. Here's the headline, folks. <laughs> Sheeple, stop doing it. Stop shutting down your computer properly. First of all, you're supposed to shut it down, right? You're not, you're not supposed to just like leave it on all the time, which everybody does, but... Your computer will accuse you of not shutting it down properly, kind of no matter what. And when you do take the time to respect company property and close all of the applications you've been using, something will interrupt shutdown. You know it will. Some program that's running. And then you're wasting your own precious time you could be spending leaving work trying to do your company a solid by shutting down properly when (laughs) (laughs) there's no evidence that that even matters. Show me a computer <laughs> repair person who says, I know why this computer's got smoke coming out of the back, because it wasn't shut down properly. Furthermore, what do I care? It's not my computer. It's a work computer. It sounds like the you've end. been this is wronged my... by a lot of computers. <laughs> this is what I do at the end of every day. I press the power button and I hold it down, and that computer shuts the heck down. I'm going to try it. Yeah, it feels really good. Like you're really <laughs> sticking into the man when you do it. If we all get together and just press the off button instead of properly shutting down, we can change the world. And this has been Half Big Takes. Half Big Takes. And that's it for another episode of Game Plan. For more, you can find me on Twitter, at Francesca Today. And I'm at RZ Greenfield. And our guest this week, Sally Krawcheck, is at Sally Krawcheck. See you next week. Bye. And now it's time for Half-Baked Takes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was distracted.